Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Thursday, February 16th episode of the Faith Comes From a Hearing podcast. I believe that's episode 169, episode 169. I am Wayne Floyd, your host. Uh, the Faith Comes From a Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. Um, I've been giving out the wrong, I mean, the URL gets you there, but here's the correct URL to get there, christianpodcastcommunity.org. That is the, the URL you should use to go find us over there. I definitely would recommend you taking the time to go over there and look for stuff to listen to. Uh, wonderful brothers and sisters in Christ putting together some great, great, great content. Definitely worth your time. Um, believe me. If you get perusing through there, you're going to find out you don't have enough time in, day, in the day to listen to all the things you want to listen to over there. Um, so definitely worth your while. Um, so again, would definitely recommend you to do it. Um, I'll also point out on our show notes, um, the very last uh, link, as I've been doing for months now, uh, well, for at least a month, I think, um, is the link for the Vail Valley Baptist Church Give, Send, Go campaign. The Vail Valley Baptist Church Give, Send, Go campaign. Uh, what we're striving to do, we're striving to get our uh, mortgage paid off very quick, quickly so we can commence work on establishing a Christian classic education-based school to provide an alternative within our community for parents that are concerned with, with the, with the um, options they have right now for their kids. We want to give them an alternative. Um, so I would definitely ask you to go ahead and click on the link and go take a look and read about it. Um, much more thorough definition than I just gave you of what we're doing. And then we would ask three things of you. We would ask you to pray for us. We would ask you to prayerfully consider giving. And then we would ask you to pass along the link um, so others can do the same thing. Um, let's see. That's about all we've got. Um, for this morning, we're going to go ahead and get going with our reading for this morning. And then this evening, uh, we're going to go ahead and jump into and continue on in our study of John chapter six, uh, the, the area about the bread of life. So, um, here we go. Uh, we're going to open up as we usually do Thursday morning with the fifth day morning prayer. It's called the giver creator. Of, oh, sorry. Let's pray creator, upholder, and proprietor of all things. We cannot escape from thy presence and control, nor do we desire to do so. Our privilege is to be under the agency of thy omnipotence, righteousness, wisdom, patience, mercy, and grace. For thou art love with more than parental affection. We admire thy goodness, stand in awe of thy power, abase ourselves before thy purity. It is the discovery of thy goodness alone that can banish our fear, allure us into thy presence, help us to bewail and confess our sins. We review our past guilt and are conscious of present unworthiness. We bless thee that they, thy steadfast love and attributes are essential to our happiness and hope. Thou hast witnessed to us thy grace and mercy in the bounties of nature, in the fullness of thy providence, in the revelations of scripture, in the gift of thy son, in the proclamation of the gospel. Make us willing to be saved in thy own way 
perceiving nothing in ourselves, but all in Jesus. Help us not only to receive him, but to walk in him, depend upon him, commune with him, follow him as dear children, imperfect but still pressing forward, not complaining of labor, but valuing rest, not murmuring under trials, but thankful for our state, and by so doing let us silence the ignorance of foolish men. Amen. All right, now our devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening uh, for February 16th. The text for it uh, for this morning is Philippians 4.11. I have learned in whatever state I am therewith to be content. These words show us that contentment is not a natural propensity of man. I'll, ill weeds grow apace. Covetousness, discontent, and murmurings are as natural to man as thorns are to the soil. We need not sow thistles and brambles. They come up naturally enough, because they are indigenous to earth. And so, we need not teach men to complain. They complain fast enough without any education. But the precious things of the earth must be cultivated. If we would have wheat, we must plow and sow. If we want flowers, there must be... I'm sorry, if we want flowers, there must be... Wow, I got lost there. If we want flowers, there must be the garden, and all the gardeners care. Now contentment is one of the flowers of heaven, and if we would have it, it must be cultivated. It will not grow in us by nature. It is the new nature alone that can produce it, and even then we must be especially careful and watchful that we maintain and cultivate the grace which God has sown in us. Paul says, I have learned to be content, as much as to say he did not know how at one time. It cost him some pains to attain to the mystery of that great truth. No doubt he sometimes thought he had learned, and then broke and then broke down. And when at last he had attained unto it, and could say, I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content, he was an old gray-headed man, upon the borders of the grave, a poor prisoner shut up in Nero's dungeon at Rome. We might well be willing to endure Paul's infirmities, and share the cold, cold dungeon with him, if we too might by any means attain unto his good degree." Do not indulge the notion that you can be contented without learning or learn without discipline. It is not a power that may be exercised naturally, but a science to be acquired gradually. We know this from experience. Brother, hush that murmur, natural though it be, and continue a diligent pupil in the College of Content. All right, and we are going to... uh, Go ahead into our reading today. We're going to be reading in Leviticus 1, 2, and then into 3. We're going to be reading some in Mark 1 and 2, and then we're going to be reading some in Psalm 35 and Proverbs 9. So here we go. Hear the word of the Lord. Leviticus 1, verse 1. Then Yahweh called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When any man from among you brings an offering near to Yahweh, you shall bring your offering of animals from the herd or the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall bring it near, a male without blemish. He shall bring it near to the doorway of the tent of meeting, that he may be accepted before Yahweh. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, that it may be accepted for him to make atonement on his behalf. Then he shall slaughter the young bull before Yahweh, and Aaron's sons the priest shall bring near the blood, and splash the blood around on the altar that is at the doorway of the tent of meeting. 
and he shall then skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. And the sons of Aaron the priest shall put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. Then Aaron's sons the priest shall arrange the pieces, the head and the soot, over the wood which is on the fire that is on the altar. Its entrails, however, and its legs he shall wash with water. And the priest shall offer up in smoke all of it on the altar for a burnt offering, an offering by fire of a soothing aroma to Yahweh. But if his offering is from the flock, of the sheep, or of the goats, for a burnt offering, he shall bring near a male without blemish, and he shall slaughter it on the side of the altar northward before Yahweh. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall splash its blood around on the altar. He shall then cut it into pieces with its head and its suet, and the priest shall arrange them on the wood which is on the fire that is on the altar. The entrails, however, and the legs he shall wash with water, and the priest shall bring all of it near, and offer it up in smoke on the altar. It is a burnt offering, an offering by fire of a soothing aroma to Yahweh. But if his offering to Yahweh is a burnt offering of birds, then he shall bring near his offering from the turtle doves or from young pigeons. And the priest shall bring it near to the altar and wring off its head and offer it up in smoke on the altar. And its blood is to be drained out on the side of the altar. He shall also take away its crop with its feathers and cast it beside the altar eastward to the place of the ashes. Then he shall tear it by its wings, but he shall not separate it. And the priest shall offer it up in smoke on the altar on the wood which is on the fire. It is a burnt offering, an offering by fire of a soothing aroma to Yahweh. Leviticus 2 Now when anyone brings near a grain offering as an offering to Yahweh, his offering shall be a fine flour, and he shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it. He shall then bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests, and he shall take from it his handful of its fine flour and of its oil with all of its frankincense, and the priest shall offer it up in smoke as its memorial portion on the altar, an offering by fire of a soothing soothing aroma to Yahweh. And the remainder of the grain offering belongs to Aaron and his sons, a thing most holy of the offerings to Yahweh by fire. Now when you bring near an offering of a grain offering baked in an oven, it shall be unleavened cakes of fine flour mixed with oil, or unleavened wafer spread with oil. And if your offering is a grain offering made on a griddle, it shall be a fine flour, unleavened, mixed with oil. You shall break it into bits and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. Now if your offering is a grain offering made in a pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. And you will bring in the grain offering which is made of these things to Yahweh, and it shall be brought near to the priest, and he shall bring it to the altar. The priest then shall raise up from the grain offering its memorial portion, and he shall offer it up in smoke on the altar as an offering by fire of a soothing aroma to Yahweh. And the remainder of the grain offering belongs to Aaron and his sons, a thing most holy of the offerings to Yahweh by fire. No grain offering which you bring near to Yahweh shall be made with leaven. For you shall not offer up in smoke any leaven or any honey as an offering by fire to Yahweh. As an offering of first fruits, you shall bring them near to Yahweh. But they shall not ascend for a soothing aroma on the altar. Every grain offering of yours, moreover, you shall season with salt so that the salt of the covenant of your God shall not be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings you shall bring salt near. Also, if you bring near a grain offering of of early ripened things to Yahweh, you shall bring near fresh heads of grain, roasted in the fire, grits of new growth, for the grain offering of your early ripened things. You shall then put oil on it and place frankincense on it. It is a grain offering, and the priest shall offer up in smoke its memorial portion part of its grits, and its oil with all its frankincense as an offering by fire to Yahweh. 
Now Leviticus 3, we're going to read to verse 17. Now if his offering is a sacrifice of peace offerings, if he is going to bring near one from the herd, whether male or female, he shall bring it near without blemish before Yahweh. Then he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and slaughter it at the doorway of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall splash the blood around on the altar. From the sacrifice of the peace offerings he shall bring an offering by fire near to Yahweh, the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, which is on the loins, and the lobe of the liver, which he shall remove with the kidneys. Then Aaron's sons shall offer it up in smoke on the altar on the burnt offering, which is on the wood that is on the fire. It is an offering by fire of a soothing aroma to Yahweh. But if his offering for a sacrifice of peace offering to Yahweh is from the flock, he shall, he shall bring it near, male or female, without blemish. If he is going to bring near a lamb for his offering, then he shall bring it near before Yahweh. And he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and slaughter it before the tent of meeting. And Aaron's son shall splash its blood around on the altar. And from the sacrifice of peace offerings, he shall bring near as an offering by fire to Yahweh. It's fat, the entire fat tail, which he shall remove close to the backbone, and the fat that covers the entrails, and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, which is on the loins, and the lobe of the liver, which he shall remove with the kidneys. Then the priest shall offer it up in smoke on the altar as food, an offering by fire to Yahweh. Moreover, if his offering is a goat, then he shall bring it near before Yahweh, and he shall lay his hand on its head and slaughter it before the tent of meeting. And the sons of Aaron shall splash its blood around on the altar, and from it he shall bring near its offering, its offering as an offering by fire to Yahweh, the fat that covers the entrails, and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, which is on the loins, and the lobe of the liver, which he shall remove with the kidneys. And the priest shall offer them up in smoke on the altar as food, an offering by fire for a soothing aroma. All fat is Yahweh's. It is a perpetual statute throughout your generations in all your places of habitation. You shall not eat any fat or any blood. All right. Now Mark 1 verses 29 through the end of the chapter, and then we're going to read into Mark 2. And immediately after they came out of the synagogue, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever. And immediately they spoke to Jesus about her. And he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand. And the fever left her, and she began waiting on them. And when evening came after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city had gathered at the door. And he healed many who were ill with various diseases, and cast out many demons. And he was not permitting the demons to speak, because they knew who he was. And in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus rode up, rose up and went out of the house and went away to a desolate place and was praying there. And Simon and his companions searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go elsewhere, to the towns nearby, so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came out for. And he went preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee, and casting out the demons. And a leper came to Jesus, pleading with him, and falling on his knees before him, and saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. And moved with compassion, he stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I am willing, be cleaned. And immediately the lef leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. And he sternly warned him, and immediately sent him away. 
And he said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in desolate areas, and they were coming to him from everywhere. Mark 2 And when he had come back to Capernaum, several days afterwards, it was heard that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so that there was no longer room, not even near the door, and he was speaking the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four men. And being unable to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof over where he was. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the mat where the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God God alone? Immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up and pick up your mat and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Get up, pick up your mat, and go to your home. And he got up and immediately picked up the mat and went out before everyone, so that they were all all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. All right. Psalm 35, verses 17 through 28. Lord, how long will you look on? Bring back my soul from their ravages, my only life from the lions. I will give you thanks in the great assembly. I will praise you among a mighty people. Let those who are wrongly my enemies not be glad over me, nor let those who hate me without cause wink maliciously. For they do not speak peace, but they devise deceitful words against those who are quiet in the land. They They opened their mouths wide against me. They said, Aha, aha, our eyes have seen it. You have seen it, O Yahweh. Do not keep silent. O Lord, do not be far from me. Stir up yourself and awake to my justice, and to my cause, my God and my Lord. Judge me, O Yahweh, my God, according to your righteousness, and do not let them be glad over me. Do not let them say in their heart, Aha, our desire. Do not let them say, We have swallowed him up. Let those be ashamed and humiliated altogether who are glad at the evil done to me. Let those be clothed with shame and dishonor who magnify themselves over me. Let them shout for joy and be glad who delight in my righteousness. And let them say continually, Yahweh be magnified, who delights in the peace of his slave. And my tongue shall utter your righteousness and your praise all day long. All right, and finally... Proverbs 9, verses 13 through 18. The woman of foolishness is boisterous, a woman of simplicity, and does not know anything. She sits at the doorway of her house, on a seat by the high places of the city, to call to those who pass by that way, who are making their path straight. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks a heart of wisdom, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there that those she called are in the depths of Sheol. All right. Well, that is our reading for the day. I uh, thank you for spending this time with me. 
Um, I hope it was edifying for you being exposed to the scripture. I know it is for me every morning. Um, I hope you have a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you to go out and do all that you do for the glory of God. And God willing, I hope to see you back here for the evening segment. We're going to go ahead and close out with another prayer from the Valley of Vision. This one is called the Divine Will. Let's pray. O Lord, I hang on thee. I see, believe, live, when thy will, not mine, is done. I can plead nothing in myself in regard of any worthiness and grace, in regard of thy providence and promises, but only thy good pleasure. If thy mercy make me poor and vile, blessed be thou. Prayers arising from my needs are preparations for future mercies. Help me to honor thee by believing before I feel, for greater is the sin if I make feeling a cause of faith. Show me what sins hide thee from me and eclipse thy love. Help me to humble myself for past evils, to be resolved to walk with more care. For if I do not walk holily before thee, how can I be assured of my salvation? It is the meek and humble who are shown thy covenant. Know thy will, are pardoned and healed, who by faith depend and rest upon grace, who are sanctified and quickened, who evidence thy love. Help me to pray in faith and to shine and so find thy will, sorry, by leaning hard on thy rich free mercy, by believing thou wilt give what hast thou promised. Strengthen me to pray with the conviction that whatever I receive is thy gift, so that I may pray until prayer be granted. Teach me to believe that all degrees of mercy arise from several degrees of prayer, that when faith is begun it is imperfect and must grow as chapped ground opens wider and wider until rain comes. So shall I wait thy will, pray for it to be done, and by thy grace become fully obedient. Amen. All right, again, I hope you have a wonderful one. And God willing, again, I will see you this evening. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Thursday, February 16th episode. That's episode 169 of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host, and we're going to go, we're going to get into uh, the next section of John chapter six, as we've been working through, we've worked through uh, the, uh, feeding in the 5,000. And then we work through the section about the, uh, responses of true and false disciples. And now we're going to get into the bread of life section. Um, we're actually, and as I've told you before, I'm, I'm, I'm breaking this down the way John MacArthur does. Um, honestly, I, I use his commentary. I use other commentaries as well. Um, including, um, people like Matthew Henry, you know, Puritans as well. Um, but I, I like the way MacArthur breaks this down. Um, we're going to be broken down into some big sections and then into some smaller sections within those big sections to break this down into manageable chunks for our evening, um, segments here. Uh, so what we'll be looking at today will be, um, Jesus, the true bread from heaven. And we'll be looking at the contrast. Um, this part of it is actually broken down into three different sections. So we're going to deal with the contrast today. Um, but let's go ahead and let's go ahead and open up with a veil. Um, I'm sorry, with a valley of vision. Wow. With a valley of vision prayer, we're going to open up with one called heart corruptions. 
Let's pray. O God, may thy spirit speak in me, that I may speak to thee. I have no merit. Let the merit of Jesus stand for me. I am undeserving, but I look to thy tender mercy. I am full of infirmities, wants, sin. Thou art full of grace. I confess my sin, my frequent sin, my willful sin. All my powers of body and soul are defiled. A fountain of pollution is deep within my, within my nature. There are chambers of foul images within my being. I have gone from one odious room to another, walked in a no-man's land of dangerous imaginations, pried into the secrets of my fallen nature. I am utterly ashamed that I am what I am in myself. I have no green shoot in me nor fruit, but thorns and thistles. I am a fading leaf that the wind drives away. I live barren, barren as a winter tree, unprofitable, fit to be hewn down and burnt. Lord, dost thou have mercy on me? Thou hast struck a heavy blow at my pride, at the false god of self, and I lie in pieces before thee. But thou hast given me another master and lord, thy son, Jesus. And now my heart is turned towards holiness. My life speeds as an arrow from a bow, towards complete obedience to thee. Help me in all my doings to put down sin and to humble pride. Save me from the love of the world and the pride of life, from everything that is natural to fallen man, and let Christ's nature be seen in me day by day. Grant me grace to bear thy will without repining, and delight to be not only chiseled, squared, or fashioned, but separated from the old rock where I have been embedded so long, and lifted from the quarry to the upper air, where I may be built in Christ forever. Amen. All right, and now our evening devotion. The text for it, um, so this is Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, the evening devotion for February 16th. The text for it is from Nehemiah 9.20. Thy good spirit. Common, too common is the sin of forgetting the Holy Spirit. This is folly and ingratitude. He deserves well at our hands, for he is good, supremely good. As God, he is good essentially. He shares in the threefold description of holy, 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 which ascends to the triune Jehovah. Unmixed purity and truth and grace is he. He is good benevolently, tenderly, bearing with our waywardness, striving with our rebellious wills, quickening us from our death and sin, and then training us for the skies as a loving nurse fosters her child. How generous, forgiving, and tender is this patient spirit of God. He is good operatively. All his works are good in the most imminent degree. He suggests good thoughts, prompts good actions, reveals good truths, applies good promises, assists in good attainments, and leads to good results. There is no spiritual good in all the world of which he is not the author and sustainer, and heaven itself will owe the, the perfect character of its redeemed inhabitants to his work. He is good officially whether as comforter, instructor, guide, sanctifier, quickener, or intercessor. He fulfills his office well, and each work is fraught with the highest good to the church of God. They who yield to his influences become good. They who obey his impulses do good. They who live under his power receive good. Let us then act towards so good a person according to the dictates of gratitude. Let us revere his person and adore him as God over all blessed eternally. Let us own his power and our need of him by waiting upon him in all our holy enterprises. Let us hourly seek his aid and never grieve him, and let us speak to his praise whenever occasion occurs. The church will never prosper until more reverently it believes in the Holy Ghost.
He is so good and kind that it is sad indeed that he should be grieved by slights and negligences. All right. Well, like I said, we're getting back into our study of John chapter six. Like I said, we're going to deal with the bread of life section. So this first section about Jesus, the true bread from heaven is actually John six verses 30 through 50. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to read the entirety of that. So hear the word of the Lord. So they said to him, what then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Moses has not given you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Therefore the Jews were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered and said to them, Stop grumbling among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. All right, well, that's, 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 our, that's our text for the next number of evenings, at least this one and two more, if not more than that. So, you know, we, we saw, we saw Jesus feed the 5,000 and everything involved in that. And we saw that, that the beginning indications though, though we've kind of seen it for a while across Judea, the fickle crowds, these, these, these crowds of people that want to see the miracles and want to see what he can do for them, but they're not really believing. They're not hearing the message he's bringing the message of repentance and faith. They're just not getting it. So we saw him after, after this, um, feeding of the 5,000 and, and this fickle crowd deciding, Hey, we're going to crown this guy because this, this guy's going to give us, what was it? Um, Sproul said, and I, I know I've quoted a couple of times, but I just, it's such a good quote. It's worth saying that RC Sproul said that they basically wanted a chicken in every pot or a loaf and a fish in every lunch. I mean, that's the thing they're looking for free lunch and we see it that reinforced across our verses. So, you know, he, he realizes that, that the disciples are going to get caught up in this fervor because their, their rabbi, somebody they love, somebody they trust and follow is finally going to being revered is finally getting the honor he deserves. He didn't want them to get caught up in that because that, that is not the godly. That is not the spiritual that, that is not from God. 
So he sends them away, puts them in a boat, sends them away, and then dismisses the crowd. And he retreated for some time. And as the disciples head off across the Sea of Galilee, we see them rowing dead on into a sudden and very rough storm. And I talked about that the other evening, how bad those storms can really be on the Sea of Galilee. And they're making almost no headway towards their destination. But Jesus comes walking across the water, coming towards them out of the storm. And to them, it, you know, it looks like a ghost. It scares them. It scares them to death. It looks like a ghost coming out of that. And and I have to imagine the kind of storm. He probably came on, came on him very, very su- suddenly. He probably, probably stepped out of a curtain of rain and was almost on top of them. And it fr- probably freaked him out with that and the lightning and everything else. But Jesus calls them. He indicated that he is... I am it is ego aimi. I am, I am, or the reference to Yahweh. He's making clear, I am Yahweh and you are set. You will be safe. And they accepted him into the boat. And per Matthew 14, they worshiped him. But we then see the crowd the next morning, they go looking for Jesus. Instead of worshiping in the light of the miracle they had been a part of, they go looking for him. And we, it becomes very clear over the following verses, especially verse 26. The John 6 for 26, that they're looking for another free meal. They're looking for a free be- breakfast. They're hoping to pop up at Waffle House or um, IHOP or Denny's and somebody's going to give them a free breakfast. That That's what they're looking for. Um, <laughs> and so they, they go looking for him and they find him. Um, they find him in Capernaum and they don't even, they're, they're so caught up on the physical that they don't even register the fact. And, and, and John makes, John the apostle makes clear. There was no other boat for him to go on. The only boat that had been there was the one that the, the, the 12 apostles left on and headed to Capernaum. They've not seen him walk around the shore, yet he made it to Capernaum before them. They're not even grasping that there, there's another miracle that happened here. They're, they're not even cluing in that he's walked on water. Um, and they don't ask. Because when they get over there, they, they ask... Um, Rabbi, when did you come here? Totally inane question. And Jesus, you know, makes clear to them that they're seeking, they're not even seeking the signs anymore. They're looking for free food. They're working for free food. And he calls them out on that to, you know, to not work for the food which perishes. And and he is talking about food here. He's making clear reference to what has already happened here. But he's also making a, 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 a reference here to the worldly don't work for the stuff which perishes, the stuff of this world that perishes, but for that which endures to eternal life, that which is part of it. And in this case, the food of that, the specifically talking the food, which the son of man will give to you for on him, the father God set his seal. Meaning you're looking for the perishable. You need to be looking for me because I can give you eternal life. I can give you faith to eternal life. And of course, like we saw, they, they've got to go because their religious system is so twisted and warped. They go back. Okay. What can we do? What work should we do so we can work the works of God? And Jesus again clarifies, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. All they have to do is believe in him, but they want works. They want works. So we get to our verses for today and our verses for today are verses 30 through 33. So I'm going to reread those real quick. John 6, verse 30. So they said to him, what then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, Moses has not given you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. I'm sorry, when I when I read verse 30, so what we're dealing with is the contrast here. And it's the contrast between the bread they're thinking about, and, and thus they make the reference to the manna. So they're thinking of that manna that came from heaven, that fed their bodies, and Jesus' refutation, and pointing at the true bread from heaven that the Father gives which is Christ. We're going to see that that is Christ that he's referring to. And that will, that theme will continue on through the next couple of evenings, God willing. But we first, sorry, I needed a drink, but we first see the crowd ask Jesus for a sign after all he's already done in front of them and for, and for him and for them, including stuffing their fickle bellies with bread and fish the day before they want more credentials from him. He's changed the water into wine. They've heard about it, even if they weren't there, because they probably weren't invited to the wedding. He healed the nobleman's son. He healed the guy who was paralyzed for 38 years. He was lame at the pool of Bethesda. He's fed them, took the equivalent of five Twinkies and two sardines, fed 15 to 20,000 people, 5,000 men, but with the women and children, 15 to 20,000 people with more left over than what they started with. And they want more credentials. John MacArthur says of these people, the people's foolish demand demonstrated their thick headed and self-centered curiosity, graphically illustrating the spiritual blindness that engulfs the unredeemed. I mean, again, we we've seen across these verses and we're going to continue to see that. And we're going to see it culminate and these false disciples, these false, these false learners walking away, we're going to see it culminate, but, but they, they, they're continuing. They, they, they are so unredeemed. They are so self-centered. So they're so thick headed. He's making clear, clear reference. I mean, even me, and I, I'm a moron, sorry, I'm a moron, but even I can read from this. And of course, yes, I'm doing this study for it, but, but again, it does not take a genius to read this and see what Jesus is saying here. That God gives you that what you need. And it's not about the physical. It's not. It's not about the temporal world. It's not about the worldly. But it's really, really easy to see that and go, wow, those guys are bad news. And to look at people in our society and go, oh, that must be them. And that's true. But as much as I agree with MacArthur, with John MacArthur, with what he says, doesn't it, but I have to think, doesn't that sometimes sound like us? Even, even if, even if we believe we are saved, even if we profess a saving faith in Christ, even with all the blessings we've been given, even the greatest gift of all our salvation, aren't there times when we still want more signs to be sure of our savior, to ensure he is the bread of life? Not that we think anybody else is, But when times get hard, when they get tough, when we feel like we're just being kicked around like a soccer ball at a at a tight match in a tight match, um, or getting beat around like a puck at a hockey game, I, you know, we, we start asking, Oh God, please give, give me more, 
please. And I, and I gotta say, I, I was like that last night. Uh, one of our dogs had us up three different times through the night. Needless to say, I did not get much sleep. Um, I hit one point in the night, the anxiety went so nuts. I just, I could not, I laid in bed for an hour and a half, not being able to sleep. And I'm somebody who can drop off at a drop of a hat. Couldn't sleep. But isn't that us that we want more signs? Don't we do that too? John Calvin also says of this, this wicked question clearly shows the truth of what is said elsewhere. A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign. It's Matthew 12, verse 39. It's easy to point that at others. It really, really is. I mean, I mean, it's really, really easy to sit there and, and look at the speck in somebody else's eye, especially somebody outside the church, out, outside of, you know, somebody that from their fruit makes very, very clear that they're not saved. But we forget the log in our own. I see myself very much in this crowd, not, not that I'm an unbeliever and unredeemed, but way too often I am as infickle as unfickle, I'm sorry, am as fickle and unbelieving as they are. I manifest that. But what we got to know is there's never going to be enough signs, not for a crowd like this. And sometimes, you know, there are going to be people we're going to run across in life. And the sad fact is they're not the called. They are not part of the ecclesia. They are not part of the body of Christ and they're not going to be. And it's going to be hard to see them like this, but there will never be enough signs. There will never be enough signs. There, there are people now that with all the research and work that has gone in to analyzing and evaluating the Holy Bible and evaluating it as an antique document, as, as, as an ancient text that they want to call it a hoax that, that they, that, that they want to blow off its sufficiency. Um, and, and it, it's, it's inerrancy, even though it's been proven to be inerrant, it, it's historical documentation has been proven to be inerrant, but they want to argue it. It's the same thing. There's never going to be enough signs. And the thing is, we will see, like I said, we will see with this crowd, no matter what signs he gives, eventually they're going to walk away because it's, it's just too hard for him. So that's verse 30. So they said to him, what then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Still looking for more credentials, like he hasn't given enough already. Um, even including his testimony and his calling of the witnesses and, and John five, not saying that they were there, but you can't tell me that information's not getting around. So we move on into verse 31 and this continues to be them. This is still that crowd statement. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And it's made clear here that this crowd, as I indicated before, is looking for a free breakfast. If, if, if you were wondering if I knew what I was talking about, they're still looking for a free breakfast because they're talking about the manna. They keep talking about this food to put in their belly. God didn't give them the manna for decoration, didn't give them the manna in the wilderness, the Israelites, the manna in the wilderness for um, whatever. I mean, for whatever. He gave it to them for food for 40 years to provide for them. But they want more of what they got the previous day. This is clear indication of that. They continue to want to be fed and taken care of by someone with no effort on their own part. Unfortunately, this reflected their culture. 
Their culture did not understand the spiritual necessities that the Messiah was meant to deal with. They expected, they truly did expect the Messiah to, as I've said before, to become their sugar daddy. And, and I'm not trying to belittle it, but but that's it's a good reference to become the establishment of an, a nanny state for Israel, to be, become their caretaker, to become their provider for everything. And they didn't grasp that that manna had been a foreshadowing. And they were oblivious, intentionally or not, to the fact that God had given the manna, not Moses. I mean, Moses never implies that he gives them the manna. Fact is, what Moses did, well, and we'll deal with it in a minute, what Moses did is he told them how to gather it. He didn't tell them that he gave it to them. God made clear through Moses that God was going to give it to them. Fact is, he gives them quail too at one point because they're complaining because they're tired of the bread. Then, then he punishes them for, for their behavior as well. But again, you know, it, it's really, really clear that they want to fill their bellies, that what is most important to them is filling their bellies. He's done these amazing miracles. He's made very, it's become very, very clear that he is from God. Whatever else they might believe, he is from God. And, this, and he is bringing the good news and he is bringing a message of repentance and faith. And they're more, more worried about where they can get more bread from him. So Jesus responds in verses 32 and 33. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, Moses has not given you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So Jesus's response directly contradicts what they're saying. And of course, he leads it in with truly, truly. And we've talked about that before. That truly, truly is saying, I'm about to tell you a truth of God and you need to sit up and take notice and remember this. But he makes clear to them, it was not Moses who gave them the bread out of heaven. It was God the Father. Instead in that first statement, I say to you, Moses was not given, has not given you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. Again, Moses only told them how they were supposed to gather it. As MacArthur puts it, the manna was not the true bread from heaven. The true bread was what the Father was giving them now. The manna was a foreshadowing of the true bread of Jesus Christ. This is the true bread. While the manna could provide for physical well-being, for their physical health because it fed them, provided nutrients, it couldn't do anything about the spiritual spiritual life in any way, shape, or form. And Jesus is making clear, this is what's most important. I mean, he's, by this point, if I, if I remember correctly, by this point, he's already preached the Sermon on the Mount and made clear in the end of Matthew 6 that they need to be focused on the kingdom and God's righteousness. The things of God and his righteousness. They need to be focused on that. And all the other will be taken care of. But they're focused on their bellies and he's calling them out on it. And he goes on to make very, very clear, verse 33, for the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The manna was only given to Israel, 
but the true bread from heaven was given to the world. And he's making clear that it's him. He's made clear that he's come down from heaven and he's going to make clear again. And of course, they're going to question that, but that he was sent down to be the true bread of life, this true bread that brings eternal life, that can provide eternal life for them, that can provide saving faith, that can provide true salvation where their systems of work, system of work can't. And he's been making that clear. And all they want to do is stuff their belly. The crowd was so caught up on the physical, the things of this world, that they weren't grasping the spiritual importance of what Jesus was and what his miracles truly meant. And it, like I said, it's really, really easy to look at them and go, wow, that's bad. Or to look at people around us in our world today and see them in the same light. But can we really look in the mirror and not see ourselves in this at times? We shouldn't need any more signs. And we should know better than to keep our focus on the worldly. We need to put our focus on partaking of the true bread and not the bread of this world. And it is way too easy with the way that our world is around us. That it, it, it is ecstatic for us to keep taking of its bread. Because the more and more we do, the more and more we get warped by it. But what we must partake of, what we must focus on, what must be our primary, primary priority is partaking of the true bread, which is Jesus Christ. That's where our focus has to be. All right. Like I said, tomorrow evening, we will continue on in this section, God willing. Uh, let's go ahead. We're going to go ahead and close out in prayer. Um, like we usually do on Thursdays, we're going to clo close out with the fifth day evening prayer. It's called protection. O Lord God, thou art our preserver, governor, savior, and coming judge. Quieten our souls to call upon thy name. Detach us from the influence of the flesh and the senses. Impress us with the power of faith. Promote in us spirituality of mind that will render our services acceptable to thee and delightful and profitable to ourselves. Bring us into that state which attracts thine eye and prepare, prepare us to receive excuse me, the proofs of thy love. Show us our danger that we may fly to thee for refuge. Make us sensible of our sin's disease, that we may value the good physician. Placard to us the cross, that it may slay the enmity of our hearts. Help us to be watchful over our ways, jealous over our tempers, diligent over our hearts. When we droop, revive us. When we loiter, quicken us. When we go astray, restore us. Possess us with more of that faith, which is the principle of all vital godliness. May we be rich in faith, be strong in faith, live by faith, walk by faith, experience the joy of faith, do the work of faith, hope through faith, perceiving nothing in ourselves. May we find in the Savior wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. Amen. All right. Well, I hope you have a wonderful night. Thank you for spending this time with me. I pray that it was edifying to you. And God willing, I will see you in the morning. Have a good night. God bless. Music.